welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I hope you bring your Bible, open it to Colossians chapter 3. I hope by now that you know that God is in the salvage business. Actually, he's in the renovation business. And he's in the extreme makeover business. He got a three-step program, in case you didn't know. He first sees the possibilities in us and that we are not apt to see in ourselves. We, he sees something in us that we don't even see in ourselves. Then he's able to do for you and me what we cannot do for ourselves. And third, he pays for it all. It's not just an external job, it's an internal job. And he makes you a new person from the inside out. And when, he, when you become a Christian, it's just the beginning. It, it's not getting your fire insurance to keep you from going to hell. It, it's to change your life. He puts his spirit in you and begins to change you. In fact, earlier in Colossians, we read, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. So how does God begin this renovation process? Begins with our attitudes and our affections. Look at chapter three of verse one, Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, and I want to pause for just a second at the, the passages prior to this, talked about our sufficiency that we don't need all, anything added to Jesus. If then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What are the three things you love the most? Or what are three things that you love the most? Well, you probably think, oh, I don't know how to decide that. I mean, our lives are filled up. Our days are filled up with family and with work and sometimes church and social activities. But when you have an opportunity to put your mind in neutral or wonder, like some of you are doing right now, I already tell. <laughs> Come back, come back. When, you, when, you're, when you're in neutral, what do you think about? What, maybe you need to look in your checkbook and see what, what, what you're spending your money on, but, but you think about those things. Jesus even mentioned that in Matthew 6, 19, when he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now when you hear the word heart, most of us think of emotion. It breaks my heart. 
I give you my heart. I love you with all my heart. We think of emotion, but in the Hebrews mindset, they thought of their mind. For example, Psalm 14, one, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Or Proverbs 23, seven, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Paul begins to tell us some practical ways that as Christians who are complete in Christ, how we continue to live on this earth. And have you noticed that sometimes it is hard to live as Christians in this world? I mean, we're citizens of two worlds. The Bible tells us while we're here on the earth, we're not supposed to be so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. You ever heard that phrase? We're not supposed to sit around here and just hum hymns all the day and think about heaven all the time and not be any earthly good because the scripture tells us, first of all, while we're here on this earth, we have responsibilities. Did you know that you're supposed to work? Now, I know you get to the place where you can't anymore, but for the most part, it, Ephesians 4.28 says, let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. We're supposed to take care of our families. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We're to train up our children in the way that they should go. We're to love our kids and not... Provoke them to anger. We're, we're told how to handle our money. We're told that we're stewards of what God has given us and that we are to make preparations, but we're also to honor him with what we have. We're told about our health. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we need to take better care of the temple, shouldn't we? Or we're told that we're to be friends. Ecclesiastes 4 says that to have friends, you've got to be a friend and to be the kind of friends and you need them. It even talks about our leisure time. You see, the scripture is very clear that while we're sojourning or passing through this world, we have responsibilities. We're, we're supposed to contribute to the world. We're supposed to contribute to society. We're supposed to be a vital part of society. The world ought to be a better place because we've lived here. That doesn't mean you can change the whole world, but at least we are being a part of the solution instead of part of the problem. You get what I'm saying? So how can a Christian be heavenly minded while giving attention to God-given responsibilities here on the earth? And what do I mean when I say the word heavenly minded here? It, it means to conform our affections and our attitudes and our actions to the image of Christ. I want my life to be reflected in all that I do. I want it to reflect that I'm a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's going to affect how I do everything else. In fact, Colossians says, in everything that you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. We'll get to that. So, to be heavenly minded, it starts between your ears. I had a person look in my ear this week to make sure everything's all right, and I asked her, I said, can you see all the way through to the other side? Fortunately, she said no. <laughs> but it does start between your ears. You're thinking. I know I'm giving my life to Christ. 
and we call it, I give my heart to Christ, but it starts right here. And so I want you to see what he's telling us here. He, he was talking about those who would try to add to the gospel. He's saying you're complete in Christ. First of all, you have a new position. A new position. You have been changed. Now, this is an old, old joke. But some of you are old and you've forgotten it. <laughs> a hillbilly, farmer, whatever you want to call him, back in the deep woods of West Virginia. I think I'm pretty safe. There's nobody in here like that. He married his childhood sweetheart, and they raised five children without ever leaving their home, turf. Never been anywhere. One day, the father began to realize that if his kids were ever going to amount to anything more than he had, he'd need to broaden their horizons. So they started saving money to take the kids to the big, big city. And they decided they would stay in the fanciest hotel in the city, and they'd enjoy all the sights. They walked in this magnificent high-rise hotel. They had never seen a chandelier before. There was a waterfall in this hotel. Pause there for a second. True story. When we lived in Nashville, there is a Bash Pro Shop in Nashville. If you've ever been in a Bash Pro Shop, you know that they have waterfall. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm walking, I'm walking behind two men in overalls and a lady in the middle of them. And they're kind of walking around looking at this place. And about the time I passed one of them, one of them said to the other, well, I don't know. Best I figure there was a waterfall here and they built this building around it. <laughs> Probably kin to this man I'm telling you about right here. <laughs> well, they saw all this, all this nice stuff, but one of the things that kept getting their attention, they kept hearing this ding, and they'd turn around, and they'd hear this clicking noise, and the wall would open. People would come out of the wall. <laughs> and then watch somebody push a button, and the wall would open, and they'd go in the wall. Doors would close. So while they were standing there, Dad noticed a little old wrinkled lady who walked up to the door, pressed a button, the door opened, she walked in, the door closed, in less than a minute, the door opened, out walked a beautiful blonde woman in her 20s, and as she walked by, she winked at Dad and Junior. They were speechless. Finally, in a slow, deliberate word, Dad nudged his son and said, Junior, go get your mama. <laughs> if you don't get it, See me afterwards. <laughs> You've never seen an elevator. Transformation. You're, you're transformed. How? First of all, this position means that you have a new life in Christ. You were raised with Christ. The New King James says, if then you were raised, it doesn't mean the possibility, it says since. Since you were raised, you have a new life. It assumes that you were co-resurrected is actually the meaning of the word raised. You were co-resurrected 
with Christ. That means that the life that Jesus now has, the resurrected life, we have that also because we are in Christ. You say, no, wait a minute, I thought the resurrection was in the future. Well, yes and no. There is going to come a day when the dead in Christ will rise. They'll be given a new body. There's coming a day when the dead without Christ are going to be raised to face the judgment of God. Two different resurrections. But when you gave your life to Christ, you are sharing in his resurrection life right now. You have him living in you, his spirit in you, giving you resurrected life. Listen to Romans 6.3. Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, that is spiritually baptized, that were baptized into his death, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We have a new life. Paul was saying that the attitudes and actions that characterize the life of Christ now should be ours because we have been raised in him. He emphasizes the centrality of Jesus. In these four verses, listen to how many times the word Christ is used. In verse one, with Christ. In verse one, where Christ. With Christ in verse three. When Christ in verse four. With him in verse four. He stresses the total sufficiency of Jesus. See, there are a lot of people that either don't know the scripture or they misinterpret it to think that, they, that Jesus is not enough. You've got to have something else. I, 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 need, I need Jesus plus this experience or Jesus plus this, this. Folks, Jesus paid all of it. That's all you need. He's sufficient. They have been risen with Christ. They're no longer living the old life. Not only do you have a new life, your sin debt has been paid. You, not only would, have we participated in his resurrection, we also have participated in his death. It says you have died. Now I want all of you to check your pulse. Are y'all still alive? <laughs> yeah. What does it mean you have died? Somehow, I can't explain it, they don't completely understand all of it, but the Bible tells us that when we trust Christ, that we are propelled back 2,000 years to the cross and nailed our old nature, those old sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus. We're on this side of the cross. Jesus, when he died on the cross, God put the sins of the world. He knew our sin was coming. He put that on Jesus, and it was nailed to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For him, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what does it mean that we have died? We have died to the penalty of sin. 
We no longer have to face the wrath of God or the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, so we must die. I have died to self. Lord, I give you my life. I understand you paid the price for my sin. I have died to my sin. And because his presence and power in our life, even though sin can tempt us or sometimes influence us, it has no power over us. Sin can't make you do anything. Satan can't make you do anything. So why, the question is, do I still struggle or you still struggle with sin? You would think if we've been made with a new life, we're no longer struggling with sin. Am I the only one that struggles with sin? No, wait a minute, I see a few of you, I know you. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Have you ever had the unfortunate experience of seeing a chicken with his head cut off? Some of you have, I can tell by the groans. Now we use that analogy, and they're running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Well, even though the chicken's been dealt a death blow, It flops around in the barnyard for a little bit. Jesus has dealt a death blow to our sinful nature. But there's still some residual effects of the old sinful nature, isn't there? But it no longer has power over us. I saw a cartoon showed two couples studying the Bible and one of the women said to the other one, well, I haven't, actual, I haven't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once. <laughs> Problem is we don't feel dead towards sin because in fact, when we're tempted to sin, our old nature sometimes feels very much alive and well. If there's a strong inner desire, Otherwise, it wouldn't be temptation, but we feel that desire to do it. Well, the answer is to remember that death in the Bible always means separation. It does not mean that you cease. You do know that you've been given life. You will never cease to exist. You ever thought about that? You won't, now, this body's not going to exist forever, but you've been given life. You will never die in the sense of cessation or ceasing to exist. When you die, your spirit and soul will be separated from the body and go to be with the Lord. But you're still very much alive. You don't cease to exist. Well, to be identified with Christ in this death means that I'm separated from the power of the flesh and from this evil world. I'm a citizen of a new country, but I don't have to obey the laws of my old life. Sin no longer has dominion over me. The power of sin has been separated from me from the sense that it can't force me to do anything. You can. You have died. Y'all remember J. Vernon McGee, some of you do, the radio preacher? He used to tell the story of a woman who lived in the deep south and had been married for a number of years to her childhood sweetheart, and when he suddenly died, she couldn't bear to part with him. So she had him stuffed. 
and placed him in a chair sealed in a glass case that was placed just inside the front door of their large plantation home. She'd walk past him, say, hi, John, how are you? (laughs) There's a lot of funny mental pictures here to me. About a year later, though, she met someone in Europe on a cruise, and they got married. And they returned home, and the new groom was carrying his bride over the threshold and almost dropped her when he saw John. (laughs) Who is that? She said, that's John. He's history. He's dead. So the new husband carried John to the backyard, dug a hole, and buried him. I doubt that's a true story. I saw that he told the story. But the point is, many Christians make the mistake of forgetting that their old nature's dead and powerless. Instead, they build a shrine to it. Well, you and I have been delivered from the power of sin, that debt. The wages of sin is death. It's been paid. We have died in Christ. But there's one other thing in this new position, and that is you are hidden in Christ. Now, what does that mean, to be hidden in Christ? Well, I believe it means one of three things, or all three things. First of all, we share a common life with Christ. The life that Christ now lives is living in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 2 Peter 1, 4, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The resurrected Christ now lives in us. We have his life in us. We share that with him. The second thing is you are concealed from the world. What does that mean? If I took a picture of you and showed it to somebody who did not know Jesus, or who did know Jesus for that matter, can you tell by a picture if a person's saved or not? No, there has to be some action. You know, we don't have a mark that God gives us when we're saved. It's shown how? In our attitudes, in our actions, in our affections. But even at that Lost people, what I mean those without Jesus, don't quite get it, do they? They don't quite understand you because your life is hidden in Christ. One day, it's going to be revealed. When the Lord returns, your life will be revealed. But listen to 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Our life is a mystery to those without Christ. It's like we have a secret life, not that we're trying to hide anything, but they don't get it. We're we're hidden in him. And one of these days when the Lord returns, it's going to be revealed who we are. But the third way that we're hidden is that we are eternally secure. We're protected from all spiritual enemies. Nothing can take you out of the Lord's hand. The image here is that of a treasure that's stored away in a secret place, like a seed sometimes buried in the earth. Our real lives are hidden from the world only to be revealed when Christ returns. But you are eternally secure. Let's, let's, 
say this finger represents your life. You've given your life to Christ, and now this hand represents Christ. You are hidden in him. You are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take you out of the hand. Nothing can steal you away. You are hidden in him, a treasure in him. That's who you are. You have a new position in Christ. You ever had anybody say, who do you think you are? (laughs) Well, I know who I am. I know who you are. I am a follower of Jesus who's been saved by the grace of God. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always saves it always lives to make intercession for them. What a wonderful position we have in Christ. Amen. We also have a new perspective. Look at verse one. Seek those things which are above. Verse two says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Two commands. Two commands here. Both of them are continuous action. Keep on doing this. Present tense. One of them means set your hearts on things above, and the other one means set your minds on things above. And the order here is crucial because first comes our affections. That's the two things, a new perspective. You have a new affection. Seek those things. Set your hearts on things above. Got a new love. You know, the Lord puts a new love in our heart, a new want to, a new desires. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're told in 1 John to not love the things of the world. What would that mean? What would be the world? Well, I'll tell you, whatever cools Your affection for Christ is the world. So anything that takes your mind off of the Lord would be the world. We live on the earth, but the philosophy of the world is anything but godly anymore. In fact, in case you haven't noticed, things are not getting better, are they? They're getting worse, just like the Bible said it would before the Lord returns. But not only do our affections, are they new, but our thoughts. And then it says, set your mind. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When it says, set your mind on things above, what does that mean? Am I supposed to go around thinking about heaven all the time? Well, not necessarily, because heaven means different things to different people. <laughs> one pastor was preaching about money one day, and, and when in the middle of his sermon, he said, we're not going to need any money in heaven because it's, it's not needed. There is no money in heaven. And one little girl poked her mom and said, mom, did you hear that? We're in heaven right now. <laughs> Now, 
The story's told about a man who died and went to heaven and an angel was taking him around, showing him, giving him a tour. He saw the streets of gold. He listened to the heavenly choir, but he heard some, some grumbling and wailing off in the distance. And he went over there and there was a group of people in chains. They were grumbling. They were dissatisfied. He said, who are those people? The angel said, it's the Texans. If we didn't chain them, they'd want to go home every weekend. <laughs> you know, heaven means different things to different people. Sometimes people say, well, if this, if this would just be, just be heaven for me, or you go to a place, this is just heaven. But Paul's not asking us to meditate and speculate on things in heaven, which would be a lot of speculation because we aren't told a lot about heaven. And probably because we'd be reluctant to stay down here. But he's saying, focus on the qualities that characterize the life and rule of Jesus Christ who is in heaven. The spiritual values of Jesus. He is in heaven. How do you characterize Jesus? Kindness, love, meekness, patience, wisdom, forgiveness, strength, purity, love. Pursuing the things above rather than the things on the earth. That's what he's saying. You've got to pursue those. Set your mind on those. But did you know it, de it depends or it it's, uh, requires a choice? You choose to do this. Hebrews 11, we call it the faith chapter because it mentions a lot of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Listen to verse 24. By faith, Moses... When he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Now, now notice what Moses gave up. The emptiness or the temporary pleasure of sin and the treasures of Egypt. He was looking forward to a different reward. He was following God, being obedient. But the stuff on earth looks so enticing all the time. We can get so caught up in it. It's, it's tempting, isn't it? We all think we just want this and want that and want more and this and this and this. We get caught up in that. Do y'all, I know the younger folks aren't even gonna know who I'm talking about, but do you folks with the same color hair as mine remember Jack Benny? Well, that tells me a lot right there. Jack Benny was a comedian and he was known for being so tight and stingy with his money. Tight as a bark on a tree, as you'd call him. I mean, he's just tight. Well, he had a comedy routine where a, a man, a, a robber came up to him and said, and stuck a gun in his face and said, your money or your life? Benny didn't say anything. And so he said it again. I said, your money or your life? He still didn't say anything. Finally, the robber said, well... And Jack Benny said, don't rush me, don't rush me, I'm still thinking. <laughs> well, some people are so caught up in all their stuff, 
They're not even thinking about the future. I mean, you think about this, folks. You think of the nicest neighborhood or the, think of the richest person that you know of or that you've heard of. You may not know them. And they've got everything this life can possibly offer. They've got more houses than they can stay in. They've got big yachts and boats and they can travel. And and you're thinking that would be the epitome. But I want to tell you something. That if those people do not know Jesus as their Savior, this is as good as it will ever be for them in eternity. Isn't that sad? Because life is fleeting now. And so when we look at all of this stuff around us, we need to remember, you know what? God's given me stuff. I want to be a good steward of it. I can, God's given us stuff to enjoy. He didn't intend for us to be miserable. But do not set your affection and thoughts on just the stuff of the world because it's not going to be here long. Just not. We also have a new prospect. You know, it's difficult to shift our affections and pursuits from the earthly to the eternal, especially when we can't see it. I can't see heaven. I can't see what's coming. And I would imagine that when we get to heaven one day, if we get to remember everything that's happened, we're going to think, why in the world did I worry so much about what's up on the earth when I've got all this now? But Paul gives another reason to keep your mind on him, on Jesus. And that is because he's coming back. In fact, when you'll notice in verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears... It it means to make visible what is invisible. The time is coming when Christ is going to show up. And when he shows up, everybody's going to know who he is. Now, we'll be taken out for a while. There'll be tribulation. I know all that. But there's going to be a day when people are going to know who Jesus is. He's going to appear. People are going to know. They've made a gross error. They've misunderstood. People are misunderstood and ridiculed and even persecuted. But the unbelieving world one day will see the glory of Christ will be revealed and they will understand why his followers, his, his children were willing to sacrifice for the temporal pleasures from the temporal pleasures of the world. We know there's a better day coming, don't we? I want to read a letter to you. It's an anonymous letter written to one of the leaders in the second century. Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect or have some peculiar lifestyle. This teaching of theirs has not been contrived by the invention and speculation of inquisitive men, nor are they propagating mere human teaching as some people do. They live in both Greek and foreign cities wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the wonderful and certainly unusual form of their own citizenship. 
They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. As citizens, they share all things with others, but like aliens, suffer all things. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are at present in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of all things. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and are persecuted by Greeks. Yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. To put it simply, the soul is to the body as Christians are to the world. The soul is spread through all parts of the body and Christians through all the cities of the world. The soul is in the body but is not of the body. Christians are in the world but not of the world. Paul adds a wonderful thought in verse four when he says, when Christ who is our life. He doesn't say he gives life, he does, but Christ is our life. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is Christ hidden in you? Are you hidden in him? You know, a lot of people today are hidden in religion but they're not hidden in Christ. If you're watching online, you've never given your life to Christ, you can do that. If you're here today and you've never given your life, you've been in church, people are hidden in church and hidden in good deeds and hidden in religion, hidden in their heritage, but they're not hidden in Jesus. Why wouldn't you want to give your life to Jesus? when he is everything? Why wouldn't you want to commit your life to him when everything's been paid? God's in the salvage business. He sees in you something you've never seen in yourself. He can do for you what you cannot do for yourself and he pays for it all. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, you can. You ask God to forgive you. By faith, you believe what Jesus has done died on the cross, God put our sin there, he rose again. You ask Christ to come into your life, be the Lord of your life. Let's pray together. God, I lift up those who need you. It starts in the mind, it starts with the belief that you have done 
what we needed done to be saved. And we pray for those now, Lord, who need to come to you. I pray that they would turn from their sin and come to you. Lord, I thank you for the believers in this room. I know many people in here have been saved for a long time. Thank you for reminding us of just who we are. And yet we still struggle to keep our mind on you, so we pray, God, that you would help us to keep our minds renewed day by day by spending time in your word, by coming to you. Help us to be faithful in all the responsibilities we have here on this earth, but to be Christian in all that we do, Christ-like in all that we do. I lift up those who need a church. It's amazing, Lord, how you keep bringing people to Southcrest when we haven't even been able to meet very much. But thank you for those that want to be a part of this fellowship. I thank you for those that were being obedient today and being baptized. We pray for those that need to do that that they might respond to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.